We welcome you to our website. We are the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. In this recording, my Bible is open to Isaiah chapter 53. I want to read that text and then say something to us about it, make a New Testament connection to it, and then bring home some applications. All of this concerns what God revealed through the prophet Isaiah about our Savior long before his birth. Here is Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's Isaiah chapter 53. If the truth revealed in this passage ever slips away from our conviction and our passion, we are really in trouble. If the basis of our salvation is ever minimized, 
distorted or just forgotten. That's a signal of alarming movement away from God. What can we do to prevent such dreadful movement? We can go back repeatedly to passages like this where the prophets spoke the truth about the Savior. Each time we return to this, we ought to be refreshed in our gratitude and our love for Jesus Christ. Look with me, please, at Isaiah chapter 53. Now, there are some places in the Old Testament prophetic books that present us with some difficulty. This text does not. It is one of those passages that just outlines itself, making it easy to study. So look with me in verses 1 through 3. What's there is what men saw and how they reacted to the Savior. Then in verses 4 through 6, what the Savior did. In verses 7 through 9, how the Savior reacted. And then in verses 10 through 12, an acknowledgement that this plan of salvation is the will of the Lord. God enabled Isaiah to know this and write about it long before the Savior was born. So let's go back and look at this. In the first section, the top paragraph, Isaiah reports how men saw and reacted to the Savior. The Jews expected a king in the worldly sense, with all the ceremony of a public coronation, the ordinary protocols of royalty accompanied by the conquest of enemy nations. When the Savior came and was baptized by John the Baptist and began his public preaching and performing miracles, the Jews couldn't believe this would be their king. So he was despised and rejected by men. Jesus Christ, the Savior, was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The typical Jewish opinion was he had no form or majesty. Though rejected by men, what did the Savior do? That brings us to verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Think about this. If you were sent on a mission to do a job for the benefit of people, but the people you were sent to help in mass rejected you, what would your response be? The typical response would be to walk away. I'm here to help. You don't want my help. I'm gone. Not Jesus. Because, number one, what he came to do was assigned to him by the Father. He wouldn't walk away from an assignment given by the Father. And number two, there was no other way for people to be helped. And there were people who accepted him and became 
recipients of his salvation. So, though rejected by men, he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, and was wounded for us in his suffering on the cross. In verse 6, the prophet says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah describes how the Savior reacted. Verses 7 through 9, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? I'm at verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Look at that phrase, although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth, and he opened not his mouth. Now that's discipline. But more than just raw discipline, it is commitment to the Father's plan. It is mercy extended toward those who deserve no mercy. This is the gospel in prophetic form in Isaiah. And this is the will of the Lord, this plan that Jesus would suffer and die. Verses 10 through 12 in Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The Savior, Jesus Christ, bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53. What do we need to learn? What are the takeaways? One, we learn how he suffered, and that's so important for us to know. Why did the Savior go through this for us? Isaiah's writing here is dramatic, emotional, and historical. Isaiah wrote what we can then read in the New Testament when we come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about how the Savior was so despised, rejected, and disregarded. This, this intensity of emotional and physical pain he endured can rightly be the subject of our thoughts when we partake of the Lord's Supper.
Yet, it ought to have additional impact on us, more than just what we think about, but how we live. In his suffering, he carried our sorrows and bore our griefs. I should be thankful with such force. I must obey him. I cannot do less. Number two, we should esteem him. That means to hold high, to honor, respect. Today, we are not wound up in that Jewish perception of desiring a worldly king with military might to crush an earthly empire like the Roman nation. We have the testimony of the entire Bible to inform and enlighten us of our need and God's perfect response to our need. The prophet's portrayal of the Christ enables us to esteem him highly for his person, his work, and the hope we can now embrace. We should love him. What is the very first spiritual hymn most of us learned? Jesus loves me. Have you ever noticed the song is not Jesus loves us, though that is true? It was written to be taken personally. Jesus loves me. Why did he go through everything the prophet depicts in this chapter? Love for his Father and love for sinners. Jesus loves me. And because of inspired writers like Isaiah, I can say, I can sing, I can confess, Jesus loves me, and I should love him. We should serve him. Gratitude, esteem, love should all lead to daily obedience, serving him. I want to tell you a story. Several years ago, a lady was asked, what do you do? And she said, I'm a secretary. She said, when I tell people this, they sometimes look at me with a certain pity. But when they find out who I'm secretary for, the president, they open their eyes with admiration. In other words, we often define service jobs based on who we are serving. As Christians, we're serving the king, the one God sent to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. When Paul wrote about workers or servants in Ephesians 6 and verse 7, he said, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. What a privilege to serve Jesus Christ in everything we do, knowing that he served us. He served us, us meaning sheep who had gone astray by being oppressed and rejected and stricken and bearing the load of our iniquity on the cross. Wouldn't you say he deserves our best? Isaiah 53. Now, do you realize this was written about 700 years before Christ was born? Yet today... We can read this, see every part of it fulfilled in the New Testament record, and this text remains one of the most powerful prophetic proofs of the Messiahship of Jesus and the inspiration of Scripture.
It was too unexpected and apparently a contradictory idea to have simply been Isaiah's hopeful desire or guess. It was too unbelievable and wholly outside the realm of Jewish expectation in the first century to have been calculatedly fulfilled by some imposter. Someone has observed the prophecy and Jesus' complete fulfillment of it are too incredible to be false. Man could not have invented this. Now, let me, let me say one more thing. Be turning to Acts chapter 8. An Ethiopian nobleman had just come from Jerusalem. No doubt, he went there to enjoy the wealth of rabbinic wisdom in the city of David, but he got there and everybody was talking about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. On his way back to Ethiopia, he was riding along in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet, in fact, reading this passage we've studied. A man named Philip came to him and said, do you understand what you're reading? The man said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. The man confessed his faith in Jesus Christ. He ordered the chariot to stop and him and Philip both went down into the water and the eunuch was baptized. Then it says, he went on his way rejoicing. I want you to listen to a part of this in Acts 8, 32 through 40. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Because Jesus did what is described in Isaiah 53, you can be a child of God, forgiven of sin and rejoicing in the hope of heaven. Thank you for listening.